This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. You're listening to Manawatu People's Radio and welcome to Calling All Workers, the weekly radio show from Unions Manawatu. I'm John Shannon. You can contact us on Facebook at Union Central or by email at rebelshot, that's R-E-B-E-L-S-H-O-T, at connect, K-I-N-E-C-T, .co.nz. Calling all workers, the purpose of the show is to raise the profile of unions, advertise union events, present stories and issues of interest to workers and to build community support for union campaigns and activities. Today I would like to extend a very warm welcome to Lorna Johnson, one of the most effective Palmerston North City councillors. Late last year there was a debate in council raised by the National Party-aligned councillors focused on the council publicly opposing the Three Waters proposal that the government is bringing into law. Lorna was one of the leading spokespeople opposing the proposal to oppose the legislation and she was successful in her endeavours convincing a majority of councillors to vote against the proposed resolution. I thought we might discuss the Three Waters legislation to try and fill in the background, the intent of the changes uh, as this is the first Calling All Workers show for 2023, I thought we might also hear from Lorna on her highlights of 2022 and some issues for 2023 that she will concentrate her council activities on during the coming year. Uh, kia ora, Lorna. Oh, kia ora, John. Thanks for having me. The reasons for the government rolling out the Three Waters legislation seem to revolve around councils throughout New Zealand not prioritising investment in water infrastructure and on issues around water quality and safety. I quote from a media column by Richard Harmon, quite simply, local government cannot be trusted by the central government to invest its water revenues in three waters infrastructure. What's your view on that? (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, I think that's probably a fair summary, but uh, what has happened is for generations there's been a perverse incentive Uh, for councils. So um, infrastructure that's under the ground that no one can see that delivers water and takes water away and deals with it uh, has not been adequately invested in for for decades. And the reason, uh, my theory for the reason behind this is that um, council laws are re-elected every three years and um, many councillors are elected on a platform of limiting rates increases and uh, the way that rates increases have been limited um, some would say uh, you know foolishly um, is by not investing enough money in renewal of infrastructure and particularly infrastructure that can't be seen so pipes under the ground so 
um, you know, the the incentive to get re-elected in three years' time is always higher, uh, it seems, uh, than the incentive to um, put adequate amount of funding into renewing pipes, into upgrading wastewater and so on. And it basically has come to a head through the Havelock North disaster. Um, but Havelock North is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, pretty much every week across New Zealand, there are boil water notices in councils. Uh, there are pipes bursting all over the country. And uh, the the review into water was started under the uh, previous national government. And the Labour Party has continued it uh, when they've been in government. And ultimately, the information gathering that they've done through this process has shown that there's billions and billions of dollars of underinvestment in water infrastructure across the country. So it's undeniable, uh, really, that there hasn't been adequate investment in water infrastructure by councils over a prolonged period of time. Um, yeah, I, I think I've read, I note that initially the concept behind the three waters legislation was a bipartisan issue nationally. National Finance Minister Bill English in 2015 launched a 30-year infrastructure plan which included a commitment that providers would collaborate more effectively within and across regions and the plan proposed the coming together of three Waikato local bodies, Hamilton City, Waipa and Waikato District Councils as a pilot to explore the benefits of working together over a whole catchment regime how things have changed. Yes, well, it it has been used, unfortunately, as a bit of a political football. Um, but nevertheless, I think both sides are agreed that there is a case for change. Um, the argument at the moment seems to be what that change should involve. And uh, what hasn't really come out, to my mind, in public discussion about the issue is the importance of uh, economies of scale and cost saving. So without these reforms, the cost to to upgrade the infrastructure that we need to do is averaged at up to $9,000 per year per rate pair. That's without reform. And, and that's unaffordable. And so whatever else you want to talk about in terms of the reform, that's, that to me is, is the bottom line. Um, without reform the necessary infrastructure upgrades to provide safe water and to treat wastewater effectively so that we're not polluting the rivers and the seas and to deal with stormwater so that uh, we're not having flooding is not going to be affordable for ratepayers. And and that's really the bottom line. Right. And and it seems to me blatantly obvious that water is a regional issue. I mean, water comes from somewhere into somewhere else and somewhere else. Yep. I mean, the Auckland scenario where they're taking water from the Waikato River shows just, you know, how widespread. So having, you know, little territorial councils all mm. managing their own structure seems just totally not feasible. Well, I mean, I think there's always a resistance to change, isn't there? That's that's one thing to say. And the other thing is that uh, nobody likes to think that they're losing sort of control and so I think those have been two factors in this kind of anti-position. Uh, but if if you look at really small councils, first of all, they don't have the ratepayer base to be able to fund the upgrade in infrastructure that they need. But secondly, they, they don't have enough work. 
um, and enough money to be able to attract expertise because we've not only got a lack of infrastructure, we've also got a, a labour force shortage. And so combining the expertise and the, um, you know, the economies of scale into larger entities to manage water just just seems like common sense to me. And as you say, to do it on a regional kind of like a catchment basis um, makes sense because, um, you know, you can't, (laughs) as we we found when we were discussing wastewater, you can't just put a ring around Palmerston North and say, oh, well, this is just a Palmerston North issue. If you're discharging treated wastewater into the river, it has an effect on all of the communities downstream of that river and out to sea. So the fact is that... um, Unless we have some economies of scale in terms of uh, water entities, then how can we manage to do the upgrades that are going to be necessary? Now, I mean, there is some debate as to whether or not four entities is the right number. Should it be, you know, slightly more than four? And and I understand those arguments, but ultimately, there's got to be substantial reform. Otherwise, uh, we're in trouble. And What's often not mentioned by the, those councils that are against reform is that actually um, there are a whole new level of water safety standards that have been introduced by the government that are going to be through the water regulator that that are being applied now that weren't applied before. And so councils are going to find it increasingly difficult to make the grade without reform as well. And the impact of climate change also makes the yeah. predictions for the future so... Well, um, particularly for, you know, for us in Palmerston North, um, there's been a tendency for people to say, oh, well, you know, uh, we don't have, you know, we're not on the coast. So, you know, climate change isn't an issue for us. But I can tell you, we're seeing the effects of climate change now in Palmerston North in terms of the rain events that we have. So we have much heavier rain events, um, more rainfalls in a shorter period, it overwhelms the stormwater, and we end up with ponding in the streets and so on. So, you know, we have as much an issue as a coastal council to consider. It's just a different issue. Storm damage as well. We're getting increasing storms um, causing, you know, damage to roads. And there was a paper presented the other day to council about the amount of roading damage that we've had just through the level of rain that we had this winter, which was one of the wettest winters on record. Uh, tell me about it. Mm. Yeah, I've just also been reading recently about the Difficulties in the United States with the Colorado River in uh, out west, you know, which was one of the largest um, water management uh, structures in the world, really, in their dams. They're now with the such low rainfall, they're getting to the point where they won't be able to actually the the, the dams that were put up for the power are now blocking the ability of what's left of the water to get distributed. So whole systems that were yeah. set up last century are really taking a hammering in this current uh, you know, environment. Yes, they are. And um, unfortunately, things are probably going to get worse before they get better. So we need to be prepared for those things. Um, we are planning for them. But, uh, you know, that in itself is more costly than business as usual. Turning to Palmerston North um, explicitly, we face some pretty serious wastewater issues, don't we? Well, uh, we do, but uh, they're not perhaps as they've been characterised. So, I mean, the problem that we have is that our consent to discharge treated wastewater is expiring and we have to, when we uh, apply for a new consent, we have to treat the 
wastewater to a much higher standard. Now that's, um, I mean, I agree with that. I think that's right. We should be treating wastewater to a much higher standard, but unfortunately that's expensive to do. And because uh, what they call the receiving environment, or in other words, where we put that treated wastewater, for us being an inland city is the river, the river is a much more sensitive environment to put treated wastewater into than the sea. And so being an inland city, uh, we are required to treat our wastewater to a very high level if we're going to then discharge it into the river. And the um, proposal is to discharge most of it into the river and to discharge some to land uh, when the river's at low flow. So it's not that we are... um, you know, any worse than any other uh, city council in the country or even, in fact, many are operating on expired uh, consents at the moment, which we're not. But it does mean that the pressure is on us to lift our game for the next consent and that's going to be expensive. And it's going to be so expensive that without through waters reform, uh, we're looking at a very large bill for ratepayers. So uh, we are one of those councils that will benefit you know, our ratepayers will benefit substantially from through waters reform. Yeah, I think that's a, an important point that isn't being missed entirely in the corridor around us in Palmerston North. Yes, well, it's all very well to take an ideological position of, <laughs> you know, we don't support this reform because we don't support X or Y aspect of it. But um, there's, a, there's a, a little hypocrisy there if your own city requires that reform to go ahead, really, in order to be able to fund its fund its necessary improvements to wastewater. Uh, Lorna, the issue of co-governance has also been talked about in the media as mm. one of the leading aspects of the opposition uh, to the Three Waters legislation. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's dirty politics, to be honest. I, I think... The co-governance aspect has been talked up in a way that implies that somehow um, EWU will be um, owning water assets, will be, um, you know, sort of taking control. It's a kind of a fear-mongering, which I I really dislike, to be honest. Um, People have forgotten that, uh, you know, we are treaty partners um, and that water and natural resources – um, are fundamental to the to the sort of well-being and the the kaitiaki tanga of of Maori to their own uh, whenua. So um, it seems to me that it's only equitable to have uh, iwi co-governance and when you're talking about a natural resource. But I I don't actually think that um, it's as scary as it's been made to made out to be at all. I think it's a necessary part of, of being a treaty partner. But unfortunately, you know, as we know, there are people in this country that um, are not very enlightened in their views, and they're using co-governance as a kind of a a, a fear mongering sort of tactic. Would be is my opinion anyway. And you make the point about owning water, which I yeah. think a lot of the ill-informed opinion around is that somehow these three waters things are, are privatising water, are getting yeah. water as a, as a property right. That's not the case. It's no. the infrastructure around water, but water itself, no one owns. No, correct. And even the infrastructure will remain in the ownership of councils, but as a group. So um, councils will be shareholders in each entity and the infrastructure assets will be owned by the entity, uh, which is 
made up of multiples of councils. So the the assets will be owned in common. It's not like they've been given away to anyone or I don't know. There's a bit. There's been some inflammatory language used, I think, which doesn't reflect the the truth of the situation. Right, and um, also I read in the newspaper someone writing and saying that uh, the Three Waters was all about attaching water meters to houses. <laughs> you can assure us that that is not part no, and parcel. No, that's not part and parcel of it. But I will say this, that water is a valuable resource and that we all need to be thinking how much water we use. Um, in Palmerston North, we've managed to so far, to encourage people to use less water um, rather than resorting to a metering system. But we are fortunate in that we don't have a water shortage in our city, at least not at the moment. So um, there's the onus is on all of us, I think, to treat the resource carefully. Um, but there's no hidden agenda to introduce meters. Um, I, I don't know... I don't know where these things come from, honestly. <laughs> Sometimes wonder, wonder, you know. But um, to me, I think that most of the opposition is ideological rather than actual practical disagreement with what's proposed. Well, thanks for that background and, and for the work you're doing to keep the city on track around the water issue. Now, what are your reflections on 2022, the highlights for Palmerston North and the council? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's interesting, actually. Um, it was good thinking back over the year. Um, I think we started really well because on January the 1st was the first day that all council employees were on a living wage. Um, and so that, uh, although we had made the decision, we'd got the decision passed um, the previous year, January the 1st was when um, it all came into effect. So that was a very good start for the year. And I think uh, we can be quite proud to be a council that's got all our workers on a living wage at least. Um, so that that's important for me. I think it's important that we as a city um, are showing leadership in the employment front and being a good employer. Um, and then I think probably after that, um, there were quite a few developments in what I would call amplifying community voice that were good. So we, we've set up a couple of advisory committees, one for um, seniors and one for Pacifica. And these advisory committees are made up of volunteers, residents from the city. Uh, they meet on a regular basis. They consider issues for their particular group, but they also um, will submit on council plans and act as a bit of um, an advisory group if councillor has got um, projects, particular projects that might impact on on their members. And so... Uh, we already have the disability advisory group, of course. And so I think, you know, the addition of these other two groups are a good example of community voice and what what in fancy terms in council terms we call participatory democracy. You know, actually getting people involved um, in a deliberate way as opposed to putting out a proposal and hoping that people will respond to it. So it's quite pleased with that, I must say. Um, and then I think... Um, the other thing that's been significant this year has been a lot of discussion around rates and how we rate. And ultimately, uh, we've agreed as a council to pursue a rates review to look at whether or not rating on, as we do, land value in Palmerston North is an equitable way of rating or whether or not we should, as I believe, be rating on capital value. So that has been uh, all agreed to 
there's a process over the next couple of years of how we'll be working on that. And I think that that it's not it's not a sexy new building or something that you can point to, but it's something that I think will produce some structural change that will be uh, meaning that rates will be a lot fairer. Right. I note uh, in the last hour, so or last month actually, um, a national poll has come out rating Invercargill as the shit city in New Zealand for oh. 2022. But Palmerston North managed to make it into the top 10. Uh, what do you expect the shit poll, city poll for 2023 will show? I don't know. I haven't seen this poll. Oh, who who was involved in the it's, polling? It's in stuff. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. It seemed to be quite what, weighted to the South Island. The, what, what kind of issues are considered then? No, it doesn't go oh, into that. Okay. It just says it's like the dumbest place to live. You don't want to live in these So towns. is it from the residents of the place or from people across the country? Across the country. Yeah. Think, yeah. You see, I think um, people across the country have got – an ill-informed opinion of Palmerston North compared to the people who actually live here. Um, And when you poll people who live here, they like living here and they think it's a great place to live and to bring up their families. But if you talk to people across the country, especially those that haven't visited Palmerston North for a while, they're often quite disparaging about the city. And I think it's just um, people base their opinions on perhaps what a place was like 20 years ago. They haven't actually been. And when I'm travelling across the country and talking to people, if they say anything about Palmerston North, my next question is always, well, when were you last in the city? And it's usually decades previously. Mm. So I'm not sure that <laughs> I'm not sure that those who don't live in Palmerston North have a very well-informed view. Those yeah. who live in Palmerston North, on the other hand, see the benefits of it. Yeah. Well, we were rated more highly than Huntley, and gore, so that's that's positive, I suppose. Well, <laughs> well, I must say, I don't think I've ever been to Gore, and I've only passed through Huntley, so okay. I won't um, be commenting on them either. So, can you tell us about your plans for twenty twenty three and the issues you'd intend to concentrate on? As yeah, so I've been reappointed as chair of the community committee, and so my focus will be on community matters uh, above all else. Um, And in particular, I'm also on the housing uh, group and my focus is going to be on housing through all levels of housing spectrum. So from emergency housing right through to uh, first home buyers because despite the efforts that have been made both by council and by government, uh, we still have a a significant housing shortage in the city and in particular a shortage of certain types of housing. Housing for um, one and two people households is in very short supply. Um, Affordable housing of any sort is in very short supply and social housing is still in very short supply. So um, council is not the whole answer to those things but council certainly has a significant role to play. So um, that's going to be uh, probably my main focus, I think, in the next year um, in terms of how can council uh, – we've got a report coming back to us early next year on addressing homelessness, which we commissioned last year, um, which will be interesting to see uh, what that report suggests we might do as a council. We've got um, proposals for social ha- more social housing development. We've got $14 million in the budget, which we need to start planning for. Um, And we've also got um, significant amounts of council land 
uh, that is either been rezoned or can be rezoned for housing, which, um, you know, we need to be moving on with, really. Well, uh, thank you, Lorna, for your insights, and here's hoping you can make considerable progress with your plans in 2023. Well, I will certainly do my best. Great. Um, Well, now we will go out with an appropriate piece of uh, music. Well, more a monologue, actually. It's uh, W.C. Fields telling the story of the day W.C. Fields drank a glass of water. It's nice of you to grant me this interview, Mr. Fields. Think nothing of it, my beauty. I'm always glad to speak to the public press. Well, I think I have about all I need. There's just one more question, Mr. Fields. What is it, my beauty? Is it true that you once drank a glass of water? (laughs) That's what an accusation. I haven't had a drop of water on my tongue since the gold rush days. I was up in Nome, Alaska. And I made the mistake of picking my teeth with an icicle. The icicle melted and I nearly strangled to death. Those were the happy days. I hope they'll never come again. I crossed the frozen tundra with my trusty dog team, which I ate later. They were very good with whipped cream. At long last, I arrived at the igloo of an Eskimo friend of mine who distilled a delectable beverage from whale blubber. Well, that's all very interesting. But uh, when did you drink the glass of water? Yes, you remember that, don't you? The water. That was 35 years ago. And I was talking to Tex Rickard and Death Valley Scotty in the old Victoria Hotel I left the cafe and walked down Broadway. I must have been uh, thinking. The next thing I knew, I was struck by a runaway street organ in Allegheny, Pennsylvania. The entrepreneur of this musical cavalcade, an Italian gentleman, was most profuse in his apologies. This poor frightened monkey bit me in the stomach in his excitement. Uh, were you ever bitten in the stomach by a wild monkey? No. I was rushed to the hospital. Soon after being hospitalized, I took a turn for the nurse. Uh, worse. My nurse, Miss Dorothea Fizzledaco, was pretty, starched and blonde, with cheeks like peaches and cream, which I had for breakfast every morning. Uh, Miss Fizzledoggo was immediately replaced by a male nurse. I recently received a postcard from Dorothea in a bottle. She is one of the Cuckoo Islands in the Pacific, perfectly happy, except that a mosquito carried off her pet dog while she was napping on the beach. But what about your drinking the water? Oh, it's your back to there, yes. I was driving across the Mojave Desert in search of the Lonesome Charlie gold mine. And by chance, I happened to come upon the Happy Buzzard gas station and tap room. I entered the tap room and said to the barkeep, Double slug of red eye, please. And he replied, Sorry, no liquor, partner. What of the sign that swings outside proclaiming the Happy Buzzard? How can a buzzard be happy without a nip? This is election day, partner, and the bar is closed. 
It's the law. Who made this law? The people voted for it. That's carrying democracy too far. Well, if you're so thirsty, how about a nice glass of water? Are you insane? Say, ain't you W.C. Fields? No autograph, please. I guess I am insane. Asking you to drink a glass of water. Well, I'd bet a hundred dollars you wouldn't do that. Of course I would. Did you say one hundred dollars? A sanctuary note? Yep. Catch your money up. Okay. Here's my money and here's your glass of water. <laughs> Hideous looking stuff. Don't you put an olive or a cherry or some formaldehyde in it? Nope. Just plain water. All right. I'll drink it. May the state of Kentucky forgive me. Well, here's over the lip. Well, I must be seeing things. W.C. Fields is reaching for a glass of water. He's lifting it from the bar. There it goes up to his lips, and there goes my hunter. He's just starting to drink. No, no, he's putting it back in the bar. Whoops, he's lifting it to his lips again. He grits his teeth. Fuck, cracky, he's... He's a-drinking that water. Uh. Oh, Mr. Fields, Mr. Fields, what's wrong? Oh, get it, Doctor, you idiot. Has been poison. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawa 2, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate.